So 12 days ago, someone named TK Matunda emailed me and asked about being an intern for Bitch. She lives in Ontario, and I said it wouldn't work out because we're based in Portland and interns work in our office. But I asked if there was something else she was interested in writing about, some other way to be involved besides volunteering in our office. She wrote back immediately, saying she'd love to write about growing up as a feminist with immigrant parents. Though she lives in Canada, her mom and dad are originally from Kenya. She wrote, I'll cover navigating conversations on privilege, attempting to unlearn cultural thinking, and ultimately finding a way to respect the culture while upholding feminist ideas. The essay that she ended up writing blew me away. She's just 24, by the way. Here's TK Matunda. I have to go. I'm the firstborn, my father states, arranging his papers on his desk. Don't you have two older sisters? Why can't they do the ceremony? I ask. After a long silence, my father quietly says, they don't count. I remember this scene all too well. It was late July 2010. A couple days earlier, my father's father had passed away. My dad and everything around him unraveled. Grandpa was in Nairobi and needed to be buried by his firstborn son. We were in Toronto, although at that very moment it felt like we were right in the heart of Kenya. His words stayed in my head. They don't count. His sisters don't count, so does that mean I don't count? I wanted to ask him, but I knew better than to start a fight. I already knew what he meant. It wasn't the first time stuff like this had come up. At 19, I was fully aware of the realities of my background. I knew that in Kenyan culture, power and control were handed down the male branch of the family tree. Women, although necessary, were not given the same options and respect as their male counterparts. My aunts had no significance in the burial ceremony. Their mourning was unspecial contrary to my father's, who was becoming the patriarch, the new leader to carry on the family legacy. Women are not allowed a legacy. For the longest time, the simple fact of life lodged itself deep in my brain. I compartmentalized that as a facet of Kenyan culture that both simultaneously applied to my life and didn't. I am a child of immigrants. Kenyan in origin, but Canadian in culture. So the rules of my parents' world only had bearing in certain circles. Those circles were not in charge 100% of the time, but they were still in charge. I remember being five and seeing my mother clean, cook, study, and go to work while my father flew back and forth from Kenya. My mom used to tell us stories of him forgetting to pick us up from daycare since, for him, Family was allowed to be an afterthought. When I was eight, I took my first trip to Kenya. In a borrowed white Honda, we traveled deep into the mountains on the southwest side of the country. As I looked over the rolling hills of lush green tea fields where my parents spent their childhood, the car kicked up red iron-filled dust that settled at my feet. My parents told me this land, their family land, is passed only to sons. 
daughters get married off for dowry. Nothing in this beautiful landscape in front of me could ever be mine. I was to be a part of some other man's wealth. I remember being 12 and wondering why I was always sent to make tea while my brother was nowhere to be seen. Or being 18 and so afraid to go against the image that my family had of their obedient little girl that I stuck out a four-year degree in a subject that made me miserable. They were still in charge. For the first two decades of my life, feminism was just a word. It wasn't a particularly good or evil word. For me as a kid, the word conjured up sepia-toned images of suffragettes, bra burnings, and hairy armpits. What those suffragettes were marching for was steeped in the past and didn't seem relevant to my life. Those fights were won, and to my knowledge, I was pretty liberated. I couldn't see how my own world was ruled by systems of oppression. I believe men and women should be treated equally, and for the most part, I thought my actions reflected that idea. I would poke fun at the Kenyan ways of doing things because it seemed so ridiculous. But besides from the occasional pointed joke, I never did anything to change the obvious imbalance. I rationalized away all the discrepancies I saw in my community, or spoke with the other Kenyan women about it, always in jest and always in the kitchen. And I didn't see a problem with making fun of the culture my parents came from. When I first started reading about feminist theory and learning how extensive the power system was, I thought back to my family. I thought about the head of the household mentality and all the ways patriarchal thinking had warped the branches of our family tree. I became angry. All I could see in my parents, uncles, and aunts was this poisonous thinking ingrained deep in their actions and beliefs. I couldn't make jokes about their habits anymore, but I couldn't speak up either. Questioning their reasoning would be criticizing the culture and the traditions that were even more important as they tried to hold on to their identity in Canada. I couldn't talk openly to my parents about dowries or how every achievement in my life would be coupled with comments of the increasing of my bride price. Tradition was tradition, and it must be respected. My parents and I seemed to come from different worlds. But as I got older, I realized how much our worlds overlapped. In Toronto, we were a community of outsiders, trying to establish ourselves in a new place. I remember hearing heated conversations at community gatherings about racial discrimination. The men would talk verbosely about being treated poorly for just being African. They would rant about being well-educated from good backgrounds, more qualified than their competition for jobs, but having to do minimum wage work as pizza delivery men and convenience store clerks just to make ends meet. They understood what it was like to be persecuted for existing in a world that wasn't built in their favor. Yet they couldn't see how their own thoughts and actions impacted the women in their lives. They focused on the loss of their birthright to power and domination and ignored their own roles as oppressors to their own wives, sisters, and daughters. But as our Kenyan community flourished in Canada, things did change. As a community, each family's success depended on everyone's success. Women have always played a big role in Kenyan families, 
My name, Trufina Kemunto, honors two women, Trufina, my mom's favorite grandmother, and Kemunto, my dad's favorite grandmother. Both of them were fiercely respected matriarchs who changed the way women were educated in their communities. But their kind of change had to always be done artfully. Tradition was tradition, and it must be respected. To be openly defiant was dangerous. Threats of beatings loomed around each corner. Yet as my family lived in Toronto for two decades, I could see my mother, aunts, and cousins enjoying a new level of agency. They were boldly taking charge of their lives, becoming new, unimagined versions of themselves. It was disrupting the community in awesome ways. Some rules were disregarded, and women openly started doing what they thought was best. One of my aunts took a research job in Iqaluit, Nunavut, one of the most northern territories in Canada. Another divorced her husband after years of domestic abuse. Another even started teaching Swahili to the Canadian-born members of the community. Feminism has many faces, and it must work in different ways in different places. That's something I only learned through the women in my family. Although most of them won't admit it, they are feminists in their own right. They show strength, intelligence, perseverance, and solidarity on a daily basis. Slowly, I've been able to become more confident and comfortable with sharing my opinions. Now, at 24, I can talk about some of the problems I see in our lives that stem from the power imbalance. With certain family members, I can bring up mental illness and alcoholism. Together, we take on a difficult task of parsing culture and traditions from anti-woman sentiments that hold us all back. We sit around the oak table by the kitchen, cups filled to the brim with Caricho Gold, the best brand of tea in the universe, sharing the latest events of our lives. The smell of mandazi, a fried dough dish, fills the room. We will sit, talking from when the room is bathed in sun to the moment we have to turn on the lights. Having a space to discuss such topics is important and allows us to feel connected. Yet it takes more than discussion for real change to happen. Breaking beliefs and habits that have been bred into you from birth is a long and arduous process that takes a lot of self-reflection and forgiveness especially when they are so entwined with traditions that link you back to a very important part of your cultural identity. Figuring out how to apply predominantly westernized feminist thought into an African background is a minefield. I always have to question how western supremacy thinking is fueling my judgment and what are realistic actions that can help improve the lives of people in my community. My journey towards understanding is just beginning. And as I enter the storm of learning and unlearning, I hope that the Kenyan parts of my identity remain unweathered. I know that regardless of my birthright, or lack thereof, I do count. And deep down, I know my father sees that too. Matunda, 
You can read a text version of her story on bitchmedia.org. Hopefully, you'll see a lot more of her writing in the future.